Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, just who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be. Thank you for your precious word that we have, that we can read, um, whom your spirit um, uh, helps us understand. And we pray that his work would be evident among us, that you would um, speak deeply through your word read and preached this morning and accomplish uh, what you will for your word today uh, as we learn um, about the coming of the good news of Jesus into the world. Um, we yeah, just do pray that you would um, bless us, that we would know something more of your greatness um, and of all that you've done for us in Christ today. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, Abby. Today we are reading from Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and honey, wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Not sure uh, where you get your news. Uh, the way we sort of have uh, uh, consume news, for want of a better word, has changed recently from what they tell me. You used to just flick onto the 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock news every night. Now, I basically get all my news from an app on my phone, uh, which, from what I understand, has algorithms that um, show me what they think that I want to know about. I don't know what it tells me, but I think basically what the algorithm is um, telling me that I want to learn about is either really depressing news or really inane um, celebrity news, you know. So it's uh, not sure what that's about. Um, but whatever the case, it seems to me that we live in a world that could really do with some good news, don't we? We, could, we live in a world that could really do with some good news. Um, we're starting this series in Mark's Gospel. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, written by um, a, a guy called John Mark, one of the first followers of Jesus. He wasn't one of Jesus' apostles, uh, but he, uh, he travelled around with them, and you can read about him in the book of Acts. Um, he did travel around with them. And tradition have, has it that the apostle Peter is Mark's main source of information as he writes this uh, about Jesus. 
So we're, we're looking at this, uh, this, this biography, really, about Jesus. And it starts, uh, you can see right at the beginning, it starts off with talking about good news. The word there is uh, gospel. You might have an older, uh, different translation that says gospel, but in ours it says the, the beginning of the good news. Uh, at its heart, what we're going to read over the next term, we're, we're reading through Mark's gospel until Easter, uh, what we're going to read at it is at its heart good news. Uh, that's what the word gospel means. It comes from a word that we get words like evangelist or evangelical from. Uh, but at the time, this word wasn't actually a religious word at all. We only ever use it in religious ways now, gospel or evangelist or evangelical. At the time uh, when Mark was writing, it wasn't a religious word at all. Uh, it, was, it was used in general for a great announcement, a joyful announcement. Um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was this word to describe great happy news. Uh, usually it was a big event, like a royal... Um, a, a birth in the royal family or a, a great national victory um, uh, or the, the beginning of a reign of a new emperor. Um, a gospeler or an evangelist would announce this, uh, this gospel, this good news um, about this great thing that had happened. So there were lots of gospels in the ancient world. Uh, but do you see the very first thing that Mark says in his book is that it's the beginning of the gospel, the good news. There might be lots of great announcements out there, but Mark wants us to know that here is one that outshines all the others. This is the one that's in view as we read through Mark's gospel. And that's really helpful, especially, I think, if you're checking out or reconnecting with Christianity. Uh, It's really important to see that at its heart, the Christian faith is about good news, It is about a great public announcement. Straight away it tells you that I think Christianity is different. Straight away I think it tells you that. Uh, It's not difficult news, the, the difficult news of 500 rules to keep or the hard news of 10 principles to live by in order to please God. It's not some mildly interesting news about a curious armchair philosophy to mull over. Christian faith is a proclamation, a declaration to the world. It's an announcement of good news about something that's been done. And it's good news, if we hear it rightly, that should fill us with joy. So, friends, as we kick off this series and start off today, um, that's just helpful to keep in mind. And if what we're looking at today and over the next term, uh, if what we're looking at isn't that kind of good news for you, uh, it might just be the preacher. Um, it, but it might, it might also be that you haven't yet heard it rightly. Um, that you haven't yet understood it properly. You haven't yet received it like it's meant to be received. There's lots to say about that, but another plug, a really good next step for you, if that's where you're at, would be to come along to Christianity Explored over the next, over seven weeks to really dig deeper into this, this good news. Okay, so 
Uh, it's all about this great announcement, about uh, uh, this great announcement. That's what Mark wants to, us to start with. And do you notice he goes on? We're going to spend a bit of time in verse 1, and the rest will go through quicker. So don't, don't worry if you're sort of looking ahead. Uh, this good news is about Jesus, the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. The first thing that Mark focuses on is that this news is about Jesus. And again, friends, this is just so helpful to see. It's really helpful to see this, this good news. Well, it is good news that's for you. It's for the world. But it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And, and that's just really helpful again as we read through um, in our home groups and on your own. Oh, actually, I forgot to mention um, when I was up before, um, we have home group booklets uh, and what we're, we'd really love everyone to do is to everyone get your own booklet today and you'll find in that home group booklet, uh, in one of the first pages, a reading plan that will take you through all of Mark's gospel this term if you stick to it. It's not much, it's just a little bit, it's just Monday to Friday, five, five days a week uh, and wouldn't that be great if as a church we together really soaked ourselves in this gospel. We're not going to get to every passage on Sundays uh, but if you stick with that, you will get the whole gospel this term uh, filled, filled out with what we looked at together in home groups and Sundays. But that's just really helpful uh, to know that this, this announcement, this great public announcement, is about Jesus. Uh, the big thing that Mark's consumed with is not giving moral lessons or examples to follow. That's not the point of what he's writing. The big point of his writing this gospel is to help people to see Jesus, to see who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's another thing I think that sets this good news apart. It's good news about a person. It's about a person. Christianity is about a relationship with a real flesh and blood historic person with Jesus. And the big question Mark's gospel wants us to wrestle with is, who is he? Who is Jesus? Uh, Mark's a bit like one of those movies um, that, I don't know if you can call some of these to mind, that start with the ending. You see the final scene first, and then the rest of the movie sort of plays out to get back to to where that is. Mark's a little bit like that. Uh, He he, he sort of gives us the big thing, the answer to his question right up front. Uh, And the rest of the gospel is really that that playing out, people figuring that out as they see what Jesus does and what he says. Uh, Who is Jesus? Well, Mark goes on, he's the Messiah, God's anointed king. That's what Messiah means, God's anointed king. He's the son of God. Uh, In the Old Testament, that was another way that this king was described, God's son, But as you keep reading in Mark's Gospel, and even in this passage, you can see that Mark is ramping it up here. Jesus is the Son of God, not just a Son of God. He's the Son of God who has such a unique and complete relationship with God the Father that the only way that we can put it into words is to talk about the Trinity, um, that God is three persons in, in one God, Father, Son and Spirit. But it's really, what's really interesting is to see how Mark uses these two big claims about Jesus uh, to, uh, to structure his whole book, actually. I just want to uh, quickly show you this. Um, there'll be some, uh, if we can get that, those um, uh, pictures up on the screen. So 
Um, this is just a, a bit of a sort of um, Cook's Tour overview of the whole book. First eight chapters of Mark's Gospel really focusing on this question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And uh, you, you see people grappling with over and over and over again until you get to this really climactic point in chapter 8 where one of his disciples, Peter, finally gets it. And it's at that point um, uh, uh, Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And, and at this point, in halfway through the gospel, Peter answers, you are the Messiah. So Mark knows this. We know this from the beginning. It takes the first half of the gospel for Peter to get it. You are the Messiah. But we'll look at this when we get to chapter 8. Peter doesn't get it. He gets it, sort of, but he doesn't really get it. And so the rest of Mark's gospel uh, is looking at this question of, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? Because um, there's all sorts of wrong ideas about that. Uh, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? The Messiah, that's chapter 9 to 16. And that's, that part of Mark's gospel is all focused on Jesus heading to the cross. Uh, this king, this anointed king, this son of God, would reign with a crown of thorns as he bleeds himself, as he bleeds on the cross, dying for the sin of his people. And there's a really incredible thing that happens as Jesus dies. It's like this climax to the whole book. Uh, everything comes to a climax, and for the first time in the gospel, um, all through the gospel, there's talk of Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. We see it here in verse 1. We'll see it again as God says that to Jesus. Um, you get um, spiritual beings talking about Jesus in this way. But for the first time in Mark's gospel, a human recognises that Jesus is the Son of God as just after he's died on the cross. And the real surprise is that that, that person who recognises this is a Roman centurion. Uh, this centurion looks on and says in, at the end in chapter 15, surely this man was the Son of God. So you can see, I think it's pretty neat actually, Mark's said this right at the front. Uh, you get to halfway through and there's a confession of Jesus as the Messiah and right at the end uh, it sort of comes full circle, oh well, not full circle, it sort of comes back to this claim that Jesus is the Son of God and we get this amazing confession. So this opening verse is really important, it tells us the answer right from the start and the rest of the gospel sort of plays it out. And it plays it out in a really action-packed way. Mark is the kind of guy uh, who's in a meeting tapping his foot. Uh, I don't know if um, maybe you're one of those kind of people. Uh, some of us love long meetings. We just love sitting back and chewing over ideas and it's just kind of our zone. Um, others of us, that's like torture, right? I think Mark's, Mark's probably a bit like that. Uh, here's the guy tapping his foot saying, come on, let's just get on with the action. So... Um, uh, John's Gospel, we read, has these long passages of, um, of speech and they're really complex and rich and beautiful. Uh, Mark's very different to that. It's sort of action-packed, one thing after the other, one thing after the other. Um, and partly that's why we're taking a bit of a different approach, trying to really hit Mark's Gospel in one go uh, uh, this term. Um, uh, yeah, and, and so that's sort of the character of Mark's Gospel. Okay, so let's get to the rest of this passage. Uh, the rest of the passage really is filling out what this great announcement is that Mark's introduced us to. 
It's all about the kingdom of God, the king over the kingdom of God. Um, I don't know if you know anything about royal visits. Um, maybe you've uh, watched The Crown or maybe you're sort of a royal watcher. Anyone here a royal watcher? Um, uh, apparently, there's this, uh, whenever the royals go on a visit somewhere, there's just meticulous months and months and months of planning and preparation uh, that go into it. Uh, I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I, it sounds right, I've heard that wherever the Queen goes, she smells fresh paint. Um, be, if you think about it, because e everyone is, like, wherever she goes, everyone is sort of prepared. Um, uh, and there's been these months and months of build-up. Well, just like that, any royal visit, uh, this visit, this, king, this, this gospel, this great announcement, this news about this new thing, it doesn't just come out of the blue. And it, but it doesn't have months behind it or even years. This build-up has been happening for centuries. You see that uh, uh, Mark quotes two prophecies of Jesus coming in verses 2 and 3. One's from the book of Isaiah, 600 years before this. Uh, the other's from the book of Malachi, about 400 years, the last book in the Old Testament. Um, and both are saying a similar thing. Uh, they both come... Uh, as part of this, the story of Israel and of God, the, the, of the whole world, actually. The whole world had been plunged into sin and death after the first humans turned away from God and they fell from their relationship with him. Uh, but God wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to give up on his creation. He put in place a plan through one man, Abraham, and then through his descendants, the people of Israel, to undo this this curse of the fall, um, to bring his blessing to the world. But all, all the way through the Old Testament, his, his people proved to, to be a failure. They fail over and over again. They keep turning from him. They keep ending up far from him under his judgment. But even then, God's not done. Uh, eventually, he promised through these prophets that there would come a day when he himself would come and fix everything up, fix up the the curse of the fall, fix up the mess of sin, even bring an end to death itself. Uh, but these prophecies that Mark focuses on aren't actually, if you, if you read them uh, carefully, they're, they're not actually talking about the coming of the Lord. They're talking about the one who would prepare for the coming of the Lord. Uh, they're, they're getting everyone, the one who would get everyone ready, the guy who's going ahead of the royal visit. And so in verse 4, John comes onto the scene. He's like an advanced party preparing people for this royal visit. Okay, uh, this is where I need a bit of help. So I hope there's a few brave souls out there who might be able to come up and be a, a um, visual aid for us. Um, so what would you expect from a royal announcer? Okay, so you've got this royal tour. Uh, someone's coming up and he's saying, the king is here, the king is coming, get ready for the king. Okay, I think, so uh, I need someone who can come up and help me out here. The first one doesn't have to be a kid, the second one does have to be. Okay, so Abby, are you putting your hand up? All right, come on out. Good on you. Give her a clap. Brave. Okay. So here's what I think you might expect of someone who's like a royal announcer. You would expect them to be dressed in fancy clothes. So we're going to put a fancy robe on you, Abby. Chuck that on.
Okay, and with a bright gold sash. Put that around you. There we go. And not a pirate's hat. Let's turn that around and tuck this in here. And voila! It's a fancy hat. You would expect a royal announcer to come with their scroll and to say really loudly. Do I open it? Open it up. Get ready for the king. Okay. I think, I, I, but I think a royal announcer would say it even louder than that. Can you say it louder than that? Get ready for the king. Get ready for the king. They, and you would expect this royal announcer to be in the city, uh, in, the, in the middle of everyone. And stay there. And then you see John the Baptist, okay? The great royal announcer for God to come and fix the world up. And let's see, have we got someone else? Yeah, come on up. Now, you tell everyone your name? Caleb. Thanks, Caleb. Now, Caleb, you're going to be John the Baptist, okay? So, over here we've got the fancy pants royal announcer, okay? Actually, Caleb, you come over this side, because you're going to be John the Baptist, okay? So, we're told that John the Baptist comes... Wearing, I, this is the best I could do, wearing a, a thing made out of camel's hair. Now, put that on over your head. A, sh a, a shirt made out of camel's hair. It would have been really, really itchy. So just itch around. It's not very comfortable. He, oh, he probably had crazy hair. So let's get this on you. Uh says he had a, had a leather belt, so let's just put this around. Arms up, and we'll just tie that there. There we go. Uh, he's out in the desert, in the wilderness, so he's probably dirty. Don't worry, this rubs off. Let's just put some dirty marks on your face. Is that all right? There we go, and on your arms. Oh, oh no good. Okay. And do we have the locusts here, Sarah? Oh, that's all right. And he's, he's eating grasshoppers. So I, didn't, I couldn't find grasshoppers. Uh, so you'll have to... But that's what he's eating. He's eating grasshoppers and wild honey. Okay. So the point is, here's what you might expect from a royal announcer. Fancy pants in the city. And what do you get? <laughs> you get John wearing um, smelly camel's hair clothes, a do dodgy leather belt with his crazy hair and uh, his, you know, dirt all over him. Uh, and that's what you get. And he's, and he's not in the city either. Uh, John doesn't come where you'd expect in the middle of all the people. He goes out into the wilderness, which is really strange. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But let's give these guys a clap. You can, you can keep your clothes on if you, or you take it off or whatever. Just you can, you can go sit down. Good on you. Um, okay. So John is totally... Well done, guys. Thank you. Uh, John's totally different. It's not what you... And, and the thing about John is, uh, it wasn't just a fashion faux pas. It wasn't just, you know, this is what he liked to wear or something. Um, John's actually making a specific claim by dressing like that. Uh, he's dressing himself up in the same style as the great Old Testament prophet Elijah, who we're told dressed like that as well. Uh, and he's saying that, you know that prophecy from Malachi that um, Mark talked about right at the beginning that he quoted from, 
that prophecy talks about Elijah, one like Elijah would come and pre- as this one who would prepare the way for the Lord. And what John's saying is that that prophecy is coming true, that he is this new Elijah. Um, and, but that's not all that's strange about John. We, we heard that he's, you know, Abby was you know, in the city proclaiming the, the coming of the king. John's out in the wilderness um, where no one is. Again, though, that's not accidental. Um, the desert, the wilderness, was where Israel, the people of Israel, were formed as a nation. Uh, after being freed from Egypt, you might be familiar with that story, they wandered in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. And what John's doing as he, as he dresses like Elijah, as he goes out into the wilderness, is he's saying, it's time to start again. It's time to get ready for a new thing. Get ready for the Lord. And that's what his baptism's about too. Uh, it's like a visual aid. Prophets often had visual aids. And John's no difference to get his message across. Uh, he comes baptizing people, taking them down into a river and splashing a whole bunch of water around. He says, he says that this baptism is for, the, uh, for repentant, of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. He's basically saying to people they need a bath. And you look at John and you think... Come on, John, what are you talking about? <laughs> you all want to talk? Um, but, of course, it's not just physical. He's not just talking about a physical bath. Um, he's actually talking about the need to be ready inwardly, spiritually. Uh, you need a spiritual turnaround. That's what he's saying to all these people coming out to the desert. That's what repentance means, to turn around to turn around from the way you were going and to turn back to God, going back towards God, not away from him. And the big shock here is that John is calling Jewish people out of, out of the city of Jerusalem to come and be baptized. You see, baptism was something uh, that the, the people of Israel would do um, uh, for non-Jewish people when they would join Israel, when they were, wanted to join the people of God. It was like an initiation ceremony into God's people um, for Gentiles. And John's actually making this huge and even really offensive claim here by going out into the wilderness, calling people out of Jerusalem, Jewish people calling them to be baptised. He's making this huge even offensive claim. He's saying uh, that he's calling on Israel out of Jerusalem, saying they're actually on the outside. It's time for a new people of God gathered around this new coming king. And just being a part of Israel doesn't mean you're in. You need this washing too. You need this repentance. You need this baptism. And he causes a huge splash. Not just, thank you. Uh, not just, he caused a huge splash. You can read there. Everyone's coming out to see him. Uh, but he gets worried. He's worried that he's getting all this attention. And uh, so he wants to make it clear in verse 7 that the focus goes on the right place. He's, say, he's saying, all of this is not about me. He's saying, I'm a nobody, right? Um, it's all about this coming one. He wants all the attention to go to Jesus. He's saying, I can baptize you with water, this sort of symbol uh, of what of this inner change that you need to get ready for the king, but I can't give you that inner change. Only the king actually can do that. I can baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will cleanse you from the inside out. 
through the powerful renewing work of the Spirit of God. He'll give you the inner spiritual change that you need. And then all of a sudden, the king arrives. And what an arrival, right? Fanfare, everyone around. No, that's not what happens. He comes from Nazareth, a little sort of backwater town in Galilee. Uh, and he just, he just sort of shows up. He joins the crowd, joins the queue. He goes down to be baptised. He goes down to be baptised. What is going on there? Uh, this baptism for the, for, of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins? Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven any sin. He doesn't need forgiveness. Well, friends, there's something really deep happening here. Remember what John's doing. He's calling out a new people for this king. Their baptism was a sign that they'd entered this new community ready for the king. And when this king does arrive, he doesn't come in with fanfare. He doesn't come in and keep his distance from his people either. Uh, he comes and he fully identifies with them. He's, he's saying, as he goes down to be baptised, he's saying, I'm standing with you. Uh, I've come as one of you. But there is a difference, isn't there? Everyone else goes down and confesses their sin, is, is baptised and says, yes, uh, uh, and joins this new community. Uh, everyone else does that and heaven is silent. But Jesus gets baptised and God rips open the heavens and the Spirit descends on Jesus and God announces to everyone, uh, for, for everyone to hear, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Uh, it's a quote from Psalm 2 and from a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, which are both really important passages. Uh, basically, we hear directly from God what Mark's already said in verse 1. Jesus is his one and only son, the king, the king of Psalm 2 and the suffering servant of Isaiah 42. Um, it, but what's really interesting is that you know that word torn apart, so uh, the, the heavens get torn apart? That word only turns up twice in Mark's Gospel. Once here, and once right again at the very end of the book, as Jesus is dying on the cross, and the curtain of the temple is ripped apart, torn apart. See what's going on there? Mark's very intentional about a lot of these things. Uh, Jesus is identifying with his people in their sin, uh, he is there as the sinless son of God. And the story ends with him paying for their sin as he tears down the barrier between people and God, as that curtain gets torn in two. Uh, through this king, in him, we have a brother who comes to us, who comes right into our uh, weakness in our sin and our dirtiness himself without sin at all but he identifies fully with us so that he might heal us and bring us out bring us home to the father it's a huge moment you imagine being there heaven's torn open the spirit comes on jesus god declares in this loud voice the king is announced and then what happens there's this other, another really strange scene. Here is God's loved son, filled with the spirit, the great eternal king over God's kingdom, announced to the world. And the first thing 
that happens to him? Well, at once the Spirit thrusts him out further into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. Now, what is going on there? Now, again, it's not accidental that this is here. Mark's very intentionally put it here. We've already seen how the Exodus, Israel's great salvation out of slavery in Egypt, is in the background here, with John going out to the wilderness. It's even more in focus here, I think. It, just as Israel were in the wilderness 40 years, Jesus goes to the wilderness for 40 days. It's like he's replaying Israel's history, but where they failed, he succeeds. Where they give in to temptation, he has victory over it. See, if Jesus had given in to Satan, even for a moment, if he'd given in to temptation, even for a second, he would have had to pay for his own sins. But he didn't. Where every human since Adam has failed, over and over again, this son stayed faithful to his father. He's a new, like a new Adam, a new kickstart for the people of God. He's kickstarting a new people. And the wonderful news of Mark's gospel is that he does that for you. He knows your wandering and unclean heart. And he lives a perfect sinless life for you so that he can die in your place, so that he can stand in for you to bring you to the Father. And everyone who receives this free gift, well, he is at work within them by, the, by his spirit, giving them that inner change that they can't achieve on their own. My friends, what does it look like, though, to do that, to enter this new people, to receive this gift? Uh, the last couple of verses show us Jesus' sort of summary answer to that. Uh, John's in prison. It's probably about a year later that this happens. Uh, Jesus knows that this is his time. The forerunner has done his job. Um, he's done his job. He's prepared people for this good news of God's kingdom, of the king himself. God has announced Jesus as his son. He's passed the test where Israel had failed. And he says in verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Uh, it's not a physical kingdom. He's talking about a spiritual one. And this kingdom is near because the king is near. This kingdom is wherever Jesus is. And Jesus knows that this great moment has arrived. It's all centered on him and what he came to do. And his basic call to people as this great moment happens is repent and believe the good news. That's, that's at its heart what it looks like to respond to this king, to repent, to recognize that you're, you are going in the wrong direction away from God, lost in sin, and to, to do a U-turn, to turn around, to turn your heart back to God, to repent, to turn back and to believe, to, to, to trust this good news, this great announcement, to hear it and believe it and say, yes, Jesus is God's king, and that's great news. That's joyful news. I willingly submit to his rule for my life. I, I can fully rest in him because I know he is good. Uh, 
He is the one who comes to me in my muck and who succeeds where I fail, who lifts me out of the darkness and offers me forgiveness and life. Repent and believe. Turn and trust. That's the right response to this good news. It's the right response for every person, no matter who you are. You see that through Mark's Gospel uh, as you keep reading. The very next scene, you see a bunch of working-class men labouring away at their jobs um, who see and hear Jesus. And they turn, they trust him, and they follow him. You keep reading, you see sick people, you see rich people, you see old people, you see young kids, all of who see something of Jesus, and they turn and they trust they trust him. This good news is for everyone. This good news is for you. But friends, it'll only be something that changes you if, by God's grace, through the working of his spirit in your life, you see it for what it is. If you see and accept Jesus for who he is. So I just want to finish by encouraging us all this morning to lift our vision and reflect on the enormity of what's being said here in this opening chapter of Mark. It's so easy to have our vision just taken away by so many other things, not least of which scrolling through the news feed, you know, the depressing or inane, pointless news feed. It's so easy to have, but let's this morning just lift our eyes from all of that and see the enormity of what is being claimed here. Mark is saying that what is happening here with Jesus is the central point of all history. The central moment, the greatest event in the history of the world is not the invention of the wheel or the printing press or even the internet. Uh, the greatest moment in the history of the world was not, you know, the most significant moment was not the start of the First World War or the French Revolution. It wasn't the discovery of penicillin. It wasn't 9-11. See what this is saying? The claim here is massive. That nothing is more important than how you answer Mark's question. Who is Jesus? That this story of one man in one time and one place is the climax of God's great plan for all people in all times, in all places. And friends, do you see what that means? I just want to finish uh, reflecting on this. Do you see what that means? And thinking about the start, the opening of Mark, talking about this good news, what that means is that there is always good news for all people, in all times, in all places. It means that this gospel is the greatest treasure in the world. Uh, and that means there is good and joyful news for you today. It won't appear on your news feed, probably. But it's here. And it doesn't depend on your circumstances. It doesn't come and go with your own struggles, with your own weakness, with your own suffering. You aren't disqualified from it by your own sin and your own failings. This great announcement, this good news of God's kingdom, 
of God's King is always there to receive, to turn towards and to trust, to hear and repent and believe. I'm just going to pray now that God might help us all to do that wherever we're at. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news that has come into the world in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for Mark who's recorded this for us, for your prophets who wrote it down and for John the Baptist who proclaimed it. Thank you for Jesus, your beloved Son. Thank you that where we failed, he succeeded. Uh, Thank you, Father, for his defeat of evil and Satan. Uh, Thank you that in him he has torn open the, the barrier between us and you that through his death on the cross for us and in our place we can be reconciled to you and made right with you we thank you for all these things lord lift our eyes we pray this morning Uh, for those of us who perhaps have never repented have never turned from walking away from god Uh, lord help us to do that to turn back to you and to trust you to receive and believe this good news For those of us who have perhaps done that in the past, may we live a life of repentance, of continually turning back to you and entrusting ourselves to this good news. Open our eyes, we pray, to to see something this morning again of the, the hugeness, the wonderful, great news that is before us. And over this term especially, we pray that you might do that more and more. Lift our eyes and our hearts and our lives in praise to you, in response to what you have done for us in Jesus. And pray that for your glory in his name. Amen.